views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our good news segment. Ed Sharon Miller is back. Sharon is head of small businesses, Bank of America. And today, are you ready for this? Women entrepreneurs are leading the digital transformation. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But don't just take my word for it. According to a phenomenal Bank of America study, women business owners are more confident about revenue prospects compared to last year. Why? Well, that's why we have Sharon here. Sharon, great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So why are we? Why are we more confident about revenue prospects? And and what is it that you discovered about not just the economic outlook, but clearly all of the digital studies that are done that we do uh, uh, for radio and media say not only women, but moms are plugged into their phones most of the day for everything. What did Bank of America discover? Well, we discovered that, um, one, women are, are continuing their outlook of optimism. And so during this survey, we asked, how are you feeling about revenue growth for the next five years? What, is your, what are your thoughts on growing your business or hiring more employees? And with a resounding yes, women told us that they expect their revenue to increase in the year ahead. In fact, 58% of women told us they did. And that's versus 44% in 2017. So that's an increase of 14 percentage points. That's pretty strong. And then you move into the digital transformation you're referring to. And women are leading the charge. And they are accepting payments and business transactions from their mobile devices. They are are 71% accept mobile payments from customers versus 65% of men. And they're using it also to send social and media updates. Now, you and I, I know you're a business owner, and we both are um, involved with businesses across this this country. And certainly um, in the Northwest, where you are located, I feel that women, you know, we're a force to be reckoned with, and opening businesses at twice the rate of men with half the capital. And so that's why you need a partner that can help understand um, your unique needs and that can help you adjust your plans when you need to. And hasn't that been the major change, though, I think, for women entering business? Uh, I don't know how I know this, but there was a study done a while ago where women sort of felt they had to do it themselves. They had to invest in themselves. And now women are taking a very different look 
And they're learning, I think, from men that have started business. They're saying, wait a minute, uh, is there capital out there for me? How can I uh, kickstart my business so that I can accelerate my success? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it was just 30 years ago, Dr. Pat, that Mm -hmm. we had to have a male relative sign for a business loan. And that was done away with 30 years ago. And so, you know, that's just, I can't believe that. I had to go back and check (laughs) that. It's true, though. It cannot be possible. Yeah, no, it's true. 30 years ago. It is (laughs) true, right? It is. Yeah. And, And it just, um, so, so have we come a long way? Yes. But do we need to continue to break glass and make more progress? Absolutely. And that's why, you know, of our 3.3 million small business clients at Bank of America that we serve, 40% are women owned. They matter. We matter. And, and we are on a mission to help business owners of all types understand what it takes and, and help think through their plan and, and how to access capital when you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, part of this too, though, we bring our legacy forward. And what that means is, you know, women believe, I think they believe that they, they face greater challenges in securing business financing. Uh, I, I think that that is something that has to be worked on is to change the perspective because I think your study shows, and I know this because I work primarily with women, we are way more optimistic. <laughs> Just say it. Are. We are. And, um, and, you know, I think too that sometimes women will, you know, and this is what I find when I talk to women, small business owners, they say, well, you know what, I don't have all the requirements or I don't meet every single box. And so I'm just not going to come in. And I think that it's important that you come in early so that you can plan ahead to what you're going to need and prepare and adjust and, and have a partner that can help you think through some of these things. So don't wait until you meet every criteria. Come in um, before so that we can direct you to things that you may not even know were available. Now, look, Bank of America did this study. Before we uh, get too far into our conversation, uh, how can folks find out more about it? You can go to bankofamerica.com forward slash small business, and there's all sorts of information there for you um, to review, to understand, and to to access. And then in addition to that, you can also, um, you know, go into one of our financial centers. We have 4,500 financial centers across the country, and we have specialists in them that are experts on business that can help you and, and help you understand how how to move forward. Mm. Um, I think that part of the the situation is, and I'd like you to comment it on this, is that I don't think women know all of the different avenues and opportunities available to them. I really, do, you know, I we we have not had decades and decades as men have had in really not only figuring out the financial systems and the business systems, but we are in a catch up mode. And my question is. What is Bank of America or how is Bank of America through this uh, owner spotlight research? How are you reaching out to women to say, let us share this information with you so you can catch up really quickly information wise? Yeah, well, this is this is a good start. right? And we need yeah. to do more. Um, and and we've, we've also um, just recently announced uh, the Bank of America Institute for Women's Entrepreneurship in partnership with Cornell. And so this is a, uh, a place where women, not just women, but all 
uh, entrepreneurs can come to for information, for understanding, for, um, you know, connection to mentors and to, you know, really just, you know, as I think about it, you know, you, you have a passion for broadcasting and for speaking to your, to your listeners. And probably when you started in this business, you didn't realize all these other things that are going to go along with it, right? Right. You have to do just not get on the air, right? You have a lot of other things to deal with every day. And I think that's some of the mistakes that folks make when they're starting a business. They're not considering all these other things that have to go along with it. And that's why, you know, many businesses go out of business because they just don't want to do it or they can't. Yeah. Not only uh, are you right about that, but in a 15-year period, um, uh, someone like me in broadcasting did not have a mentor, because it is a primarily uh, male uh, uh, organization. But, you know, for me, I'm glad I didn't, because what I learned is that most of my clients are women. And now when we speak with them, we literally tell them all of the things that they need to think about having. So we just don't talk to them about radio. And as a result of that, our, our lines of business changed from radio to a full marketing organization. We have clients exactly about what you're talking about. They are like, I just want to do my thing. I don't want to post social media. Can we hire you? So what I'm trying to say is, as women, we need to help educate each other. Don't you think that's part of this? Because what you discovered is that women need information. They do. They need information, and and I, I agree. It's it's um, it's all of us connecting together and and lifting each other up, and, and I think it's very very powerful. And and when we do that, we are a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, um, I'd love for you to share some very specific statistics that came up in your research because I think this is really the game changer right here. Some of these numbers change from last it year. Is. Yeah. Let's share some of that, would you, Sharon? Yeah, they did. And so we can kind of continue on this conversation around access to capital. So we did ask about that, and and women told us that it's improving, but they still believe that they face greater challenges when starting a business. So 84% told us that access to capital for women has improved in the last decade, which is positive. But 61% of women entrepreneurs said it was more difficult for them to get their business off the ground than it was for their male business owners they know. And 68% of women said it was more difficult to secure financing. So we still have a lot of of glass to break, so to speak, and barriers to uh, move. So that's why it's so important that we are putting that information out, the education, the training, the 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 uh, the, for women to think this through uh, and not come in when they think they have every answer because that's why you have experts so that you can do what you do best and we can help support on the other side. Yeah, I mean, this is really, um, for example, Bank of America is very active in doing these studies and providing this information. And I think that's important for people to know because people know Bank of America as a bank, not necessarily about your commitment to business and especially women business owners. Uh, I'm curious to, to hear more about why women entrepreneurs are so important to you all. And then 
all your experience around this, how do you recommend or what advice uh, can you give uh, these women towards their success? Well, listen, women are extremely important. I mean, not only am I a woman and leading this business, but, you know, it's, it's deeper than that. This is about, you know, women really taking their communities, the local communities and transforming it. We do a lot of studies and, and you read a lot of studies about uh, women and, and just the difference that they are making. It is so inspiring across the country. And, you know, 40% of our 3.3 million clients are women. And so we, we have to get it right. We, we yeah. don't have a choice and we want to get it right. And so the only way we get it right, just like you don't have the show if you don't have listeners, we don't have right. a business if we don't have clients. And right. so we need to be, uh, you know, relevant. We need to add value. We need to be there as their partner. And so that's why we're so committed to this. And, and Bank of America, you're right. We do so much for the communities we serve and, and so much for the broader good of our, of our local communities, but it's not about us. It's about our clients. I mean, we're here to support them. They're the ones that are doing the, the great work in the communities. They're the ones with thriving businesses, hiring employees, buying another building. We're just there to support all of those efforts and to help be that partner in the background that can help you do what you do best. So that's, that's how I think of our, of our partnership. And, and there's so many things we do. And I appreciate you, you, um, you know, saying that because it is, it is critical to our business and it's, it's good for business period. Well, and I am one of those people that through you have worked with a team of people in my area from Bank of America who sat down with me, who looked at where I was and looked at what advice to give me and how to do that to move forward. And at the end of our crowdfunding initiative, uh, as we raise funds for ourselves, they are right there. Jesse and the team are right there, are gonna sit down and say, now let us show you how to put your money in the right place, Pat. It's not just about raising funds. Let us help you with that. Let us help you how to move forward and invest properly. You know, let us sit down and look at all your needs, everything from, wait a minute, why are you using the merchant account that way? There's another way to do it. And, and so that we don't talk about those things. See, we don't talk about the team in a financial institute like Bank of America that we need for things like, do you have the right checking account, Pat? And that it may seem trivial to people listening today, but it's enormous. When you add up the dollars, you could save by getting good advice. And I think that's part of this survey and that's part of this initiative too, Sharon. It's like, yeah, you might think you know how to do something like that. Guess what? There's a team of people that could show you a more cost-effective way and a more efficient way. And those are the kinds of things that women business owners do not want to get bogged down with, right? Absolutely. And um, and that makes me very proud <laughs> when yeah. I hear that from you. And that's, that's what I hear so many times. Um, over and over. And that's what makes it so fun to do what I do and to support our communities because we're, we're, we're doing good work. And, and it is because of clients like you and others across the country that, that, you know, we get up every day and come back and, and say, Hey, here's what we need to do. And sometimes the answer is no. I mean, that's right. Sometimes it's, you know what, you need to think about this a little differently. And yep. that's what a good partner does. 
That's right. And 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 here's how we can think about it. And so, that's right. You know that just um, that that's that's fantastic. And the other thing, and I'm going to end with this. It's not just about saying no. When those four people showed up in my office in our conference room, it wasn't about no. It was about let's look at what can change to get to your yes. That's what I like. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much. I know you got to run. Oh, oh, thank you, Dr. Pat, and and thank you. I I just appreciate everything, and um, and we are here to to be your partner and to be your listeners' partner. So thank you. I love it. Bankofamerica.com, everyone, slash small business. Uh, much more, and I have a feeling, Sharon, you're going to be back. Sharon Miller, everybody, let's take a short break. The truth is funny. Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Are you done being afraid to jump into the life that's waiting for you? Are you ready for a real shift? I invite you to tune in every Tuesday with me, Tracy L, on the Tracy L Clark Show, where we will teach you how to live your extraordinary life at 8 a.m. Pacific on Transformation Talk Radio, where I will provide the tools and the steps needed to help you transcend perceived limitations and move forward with an extraordinary life. For more information, visit me at tracyoclark.com. A space of allowing radio with Coach Nancy Coco, welcoming all that wants to be present today. Tune in Thursdays every first and third week at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com as Coach Nancy helps you find a space of allowing. Join Coach Nancy to explore what lives at your edges and to bring more of yourself home. For more information, visit NancyCocoCoaching.com. For those of you just tuning in, Leah Bamonte joining me here today. I've been so waiting to have this advice on how to make the most of our fall, especially if we're traveling. And, you know, when we talk about maximizing financial rewards, we're not just talking a few pennies here and there. Lee, let's just be clear. Let's get back to what you just said. You said, oh, people like me travel. And I'm not just talking about, you know, me traveling from Jersey to Philly. I'm talking about People can really travel. We just don't know what we don't know. So I've got to ask you, where the heck do we start? <laughs> well, number one, sign up for a, uh, a, a credit card like the Bank of America Premium Rewards card that'll help you uh, get a 50,000-point sign-up bonus, which will really spearhead yeah. your uh, accrual. And then whatever you're spending, the beauty of the card is it has a very low annual fee. And then whatever you're spending on normally – you're actually accruing points with a multiple based on what you're spending on anyway. So even if you just go to the hardware store to the grocery store, you're still getting 1.5 points per dollar spent. And if it's travel or dining, then you're getting multiple points. So basically, when you say, where do you start? The answer is just start. Just start accumulating points and then have a goal in mind. So like if you want to go 
Uh, for instance, I just use points to book a trip to Dubai. So if you wanted to go to Dubai, you know, find out how many uh, points it'll take to do that and then set that goal. And um, through normal spending, nothing outrageous, nothing out of the ordinary, eventually you'll get there. So, look, every one of us, I think, has like a favorite place we've either been or we haven't been. Uh, my question is, what's the favorite place you've been where you save the most money? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I try to say I tried to save money wherever I go. Uh, and but, you know, it's it's uh, I'll say this, the the cheapest area of the world to go to to the, at this point in history is Southeast Asia. So if you go down to like a Thailand or a mm -hmm. Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, places like that, that's where you're going to really get the most bang for your buck. Obviously, it's a bit of a hike to get there, but once you're there, you'll hardly spend any money. Yeah, it's so funny you bring that up because I was invited by the Prime Minister of Agriculture to come over to Thailand because they have one of the most aggressive um, uh, organic, organic, uh, food growing programs. And now I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, this is perfect. I can figure out how to do this, how to gain points and maybe even how to extend my trip. Right. Because it's really about maximizing. A hundred percent. That's uh, very accurate. And yeah, first of all, you, you shouldn't think about going. You should just go yeah. because that's an amazing op opportunity. And uh, it's one of the best places to travel. And uh, like like you said, I mean, it, it's also very cheap to fly there. So even if you're paying cash, you'll accumulate um, a lot of points just going down there. Plus, you'll be getting the miles you, you uh, accumulate from the actual flight because it's about eight or nine thousand miles to get there. Um, so as long as you can deal with a bit of a flight, I mean, that's a great mm -hmm. place to earn a lot of rewards. And uh, once you get there, trust me, it's going to be one of your favorite places you've ever been. Oh, my gosh. You know, okay, I want to ask you a couple of things. I know our time is really limited here. I, I want some sure. tips. And the reason that I'm asking you about tips is I did a show the other day, a segment like this, on the cost of um, your bags when you fly in the United States. I only touched upon the United States where American was the last to throw their hat in the pot and say, oopsie, we have to raise our, our, our prices for bags. <laughs> uh, and so we don't even think, oh, okay, let me take these bags and put them on a car. All of this is really to get some tips about what should we know, how soon should we know it, and how do we take your knowledge and kick it into gear as we're planning the next six months of travel? Because by the way, that's what people are thinking now. They're thinking, let's start traveling. Let's go over the holidays. Let's go into next year. And if you live in Seattle, you're already in February thinking, I've got to get to Hawaii. <laughs> wow, that was a mouthful. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, you know, airlines are, the, the, the fees are never going to go down. So basically, you have to try to minimize and alleviate them. So if you can get status on a certain airline, like if you fly one airline in particular, you should really focus on attaining status because then you don't have to pay any money to check your bags, whether it's the first or the second generally. Mm. Um, also, there are airlines that don't charge for bags. So depending on where you live, uh, airlines like Southwest and, and others don't charge for bags. And uh, while airlines are raising fees, there's ways to also pay for things in advance where you pay less than you would if you were to be charged at the airport, for instance. Mm. Um, biggest question I think of all, look, we're getting ready to come out there. Um, what is it in your opinion now in the fall 
What do people spend the most money on? Well, it's hard for me to speak for people in general, but I, I feel, I mean, me personally, I, I spend all, almost all my money on uh, travel-related expenses and, mm -hmm. and food, dining. Uh, and the only other thing I would spend money on really is entertainment, uh, meaning, you know, like games, conference, uh, mm -hmm. con concerts, hanging out with my friends, that type of thing. I don't, I don't spend money on uh, clothes or, you know, other silly things. I just uh, concentrate on the important things to me and then uh, mm -hmm. saving the rest of my money to go spend when I travel. And I feel like a lot of people um, are like that considering 60% of people are traveling this fall. So I, I would imagine that's it. I mean, you know, don't go get your hair done in an expensive place, you know, mm -hmm. go to the cheaper place and, uh, or wear a hat like I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that comes up, we see it on commercials on television all the time. I think it's called layering. It's like, let's get the airlines, let's get the hotel, let's get the banking, let's yeah. put them all together. And by the way, uh, how about dining out? There are ways if you put these all together, there's something even better that happens. And people I don't know even know about this. Yeah, you, I mean that's a, a good strategy because you can um, you can get cheaper deals oftentimes if you do exactly what you just said, and if you're paying for all of it with a, a card like the Bank of America Premium Rewards card, you'll get multiple points for dollars spent on every one of those purchases. So that way, you're getting a cheaper deal and being rewarded more for the the purchases that you're making. You know, I want to ask you this question. I know a few minutes left. What have you discovered traveling the world? And I'm sure you have lots of these, but what is that one secret that you discovered traveling when you learned about it? It was like a game changer for you. You know, it's an interesting question and one I, I, I get fairly often. And uh, basically it is that people around the world at their core and in general are pretty much the same. You know, we might look different and sound different and, and speak different. Um, and, you know, we might have different beliefs uh, and, and certain things, but it, at our core, we all like the same things. You know, we like hanging out with our friends, our family. Uh, we like, you know, sports. We like, uh, I would say, the universal language of beer. Um, you know, the same things that most people in America like, people like around the world, just maybe slightly different. So, in the end, whether you agree with uh, a certain country's, you know, politics or whatever it might be, it's not necessarily representative of the people because most people around the world are the same. And and to me, that's a really refreshing kind of thing because you 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 feel a kinship with people like when you travel and uh, and you kind of discover that on a uh, on a grassroots basis. Well, I saved this question for last. Uh, very recently, two friends of mine bought a beautiful place in Costa Rica. Another friend of mine several years ago said, I'm retiring to Costa Rica. A third friend of mine said, oh, I don't do retreats anywhere but Costa Rica. What's the message I should be getting and so should our listeners be getting about Costa Rica? <laughs> well, I just got back from Costa Rica and it's uh, <laughs> one of my favorite places in the world. Um, I, I actually just had my 40th birthday party there and uh, it's about as good as it gets. So if, if all your friends are doing it, um, normally yeah. I would say don't necessarily do it, but when it comes to Costa Rica, I might say uh, you might want to look into it. You know what the good news is? My friends have already bought homes there. I just get to show up. Thank you so <laughs> much for today. One last question. What's your personal message, and what's the best way for people to find out more? Thank you for today, and thank you for doing these interviews, by the way. 
No problem, and thank you. And uh, for more information about myself, you can check out my website, leahbamonte.com. And for more information about the Bank of America Premium Rewards Card, check out bankofamerica.com slash getmorerewards. Awesome. Lee, thank you so much. Hey, what's your next country you're going to? Uh, it's actually Dubai. Yes, that's right. You said that. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be stuck right in your pocket. Maybe I can be your 41th, uh, 41st birthday gift. <laughs> thank you, Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an amazing gift. Oh, my All right, God. take care. All right, thank you. We're going to take a short break, everybody. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Shelley Ryan, host of Your Next Chapter Radio. When you're ready to start a new chapter, take time to get clear about what it is that you want your next chapter to look like. Imagine what you'll be doing, who you'll be with, where will you be, how will you feel when you get what you want. This could be your dream job, finding your love, retirement, a balanced life, a healthy fit body, whatever you're looking for. Create a crystal clear picture of exactly what it is that you want. Then write your vision down in as much detail as you can and read it as often as you can to remind yourself of your what. You don't have to be concerned about how you'll make this happen. You just need to be crystal clear about what it is you want. If you stay focused on your what, watch God in the universe show you opportunities for how to take action and make it happen. If you need help getting clarity around your what for your next chapter, you can reach me at www.yournextchaptercoaching.com. Hey everyone, welcome. Welcome to our great news segment. Many of you know that we have been doing a series on healthy aging, but healthy aging in a very specific way. Today, we're covering the people that have served our country. Joining me here today is Dr. Terry Gleason, Director of Clinical Science Research and Development, Department of Veterans Affairs. Uh, wow, Dr. Gleason, thank you for joining me here today. Now, this is very important because uh, many, many people don't really understand the role that you play and don't really understand the importance of research for those who have served. Give us a little bit of a background about what this is about, why this is important to you, and why it's important to those that have served. Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me. Um, the topic of healthy aging obviously is important to all of us as we go through this natural process, um, but our focus is really on uh, veterans and their health care across the lifespan. So in VA, we have a research program that conducts studies to improve treatments, to improve diagnostic capabilities, and to improve healthcare overall for our veterans who have already served our country, but in particular, the elderly veterans and um, potential conditions that they face. So our research program is looking at all kinds of um, issues and conducting studies that will improve um, illnesses, uh, co-occurring disorders, end-of-life issues, and so forth 
um, in a really uh, widespread way to improve health care and aging. Yeah, the other thing I like about this, especially for us that have been really looking at research uh, uh, for 15 years in a wide range of areas, is the preventative nature. And one of the things we know is if you don't know, you don't know what to do. And so doesn't this also help uh, with looking at, wait a minute, this is the trends, these are what we're seeing. Now, what can we tell you about what to do to avoid them? Oh, yes, that's a, that's a great question. And so the ability for us to combine um, the advantages of the VA healthcare system in answering important research questions like what does happen over time and what trends do we see actually provides us with information about risk factors and ways exactly to use that information to um, predict or even um, diagnose earlier potential issues or problems that might, might arise in an individual. Well, I want to ask you, what are some of the priority areas that you discovered in your research? Because I think this is important for people to understand what exactly is showing up. Right. And so um, I think what we have found is in a variety of studies is that um, not only is it very complicated and um, it, it's also individually dependent, meaning everybody brings their own picture and life experiences to the table as we age. And those all might have impact on how healthy individuals stay and how long they stay healthy. So um, research looking at things like activity monitors and changes in activities and what they might predict um, as people try to continue to safely remain living in their home um, as they age is one important aspect, for example. Mm -hmm. The other thing is um, a collaborative care model is really important so that Anyone um, providing health care is interested in the whole individual's health picture. And um, the models that VA has rolled out um, after research studies are really impactful in terms of bringing teams of specialists to um, the health care of an individual. One of the things that I think are important is to really look at um, how the VA research uh, program improves the care for el elderly. But let's just dive right into chronic illness. I mean, we know outside of the VA, we know that chronic illness is not only on the rise, but it is in unprecedented numbers right now. Uh, inflammation is the new normal, so some doctors say. What have you discovered along these lines, especially when we're looking at uh, trauma in the body, uh, as well as uh, people not being able to be mobile. Well, that, that, that's a really interesting topic, that of inflammation mm -hmm. and its potential impact on uh, different disorders. So uh, it could occur in a physical injury, such as a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Um, there is also um, inflammation that occurs in arthritis, which is so very common and how we manage that. Um, so our research is looking for novel treatments to deal with 
um, conditions where inflammation occurs, but then in other specific um, areas, looking at um, how to manage the pain that might accompany inflammation, yeah. for example, in joints um, and, and so forth. So it is an important topic and, and um, actually crosses many conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I know you know this, right, uh, especially as a doctor, you know that one of the most misunderstood aspects of inflammation to the general population is the association with pain. We don't really, as a society, have not connected the dots that when somebody goes and gets an inflammation reading off the charts and they look normal, it doesn't mean that they feel normal. And I don't you find that that right there is really tough sometimes for our veterans, that sometimes these folks look really normal and they're in a lot of pain or they're in a lot of limitation. Oh, oh you're absolutely correct. And, and the symptoms that people express really um, do get quite complicated. Um, I think we have a very robust program of research to try to deal with pain management. And that, again, crosses so many conditions and and diseases, even when an individual is very highly functioning, um, to deal with that in the background. And um, we're trying to bring some alternative um, kind of approaches through research study um, to actually offer as alternative treatments as well. Um, One of the things I want to ask you before we kind of get going here, and I forget to ask you, I think it's important for people to be able to find out more. What is the best place for people to find out more about what you're doing and about the research? Right. So our VA research website is www.research.va.gov. All right. Now, I know we've got a few minutes left. I must talk with you about mental and behavioral health care. Now, not only are we out there in the world struggling with this in our society here in the U.S., but you at the VA have been looking at this for decades and decades and decades. And I, I want to know what it is that you've discovered about this especially since this has been in your area more so than any other segment, I think, of the population. So you must have gained some insight. Right. So so VA has uh, really led in developing, you know, testing, confirming new treatments for behavioral and mental disorders. Um, We can name multiple contributions in terms of Uh, psychological therapies that people can participate in to new medications that hadn't been tried before that we've tested and confirmed in research studies. And I think we know that um, veterans who engage in in their care um, can find relief. Uh, The problems that we have and I think we still need to struggle with uh, is that not everyone Um, always responds to the treatments that we know are available. So we have to keep pushing um, through research and clinical trials to to find um, better treatments and also to understand which individual will respond to which treatment best. This is the newer area referred to as personalized medicine. And I think in the mental health Mm -hmm. and behavioral health community, um, it really is a potential game changer as we understand um, what the predictors are Mm -hmm. for 
uh, treatment responses. Yeah, I mean, this is an area that I think we don't talk about when it comes, Dr. Gleason, when it comes to your work, and when it comes to the work that the VA is doing. You know, one of the most important things, uh, I think, is to really emphasize that there is a program, uh, Healthy Aging at the VA, there's a program to not only be mindful and treat folks that fall into this category, but also to get out in front through clinical uh, science research and development. And so your research obviously must turn in to solutions. Yes, and in fact, obviously that's our goal, to, to provide new solutions in whatever realm we're talking about. It could be a new diagnostic approach, it could be a new treatment approach, it could be a new care model approach, so how care is provided overall in the system. And all of these would be potential areas for our research program to be supporting. So, you know, I know we've got a minute or so left. One more time. Can you please talk uh, about the website again? Yes. Yeah, so our VA research website is www.research.va.gov. Last question. Very few people talk about the caregiver. And we are now knowing that people that care for people that need care are affected almost equally. What are you all doing about that? Oh, that's such a great question. So we have multiple studies uh, of caregivers, but I'm really excited. Um, just earlier this month, we announced a new center of excellence. So this will be a research center of ex excellence to really examine the best practices in caregiving, how to um, improve their contributions to the care of veterans, but then also caring for them in the same way that you described. So that, uh, that center was just established uh, this month, and it'll be really exciting to see what comes out of that going into the future, in addition to the other uh, studies that we have going on. Okay. Uh, thank you so very much for all of this. I have one last question. What is your personal message? What do you want to leave us with? What do you want to say to folks today? Well, I hope it's a positive message, not only about our focus on aging, but that research really brings um, positive uh, potential new advances uh, to the community of veterans and, and the population at large. And so I think it's something we're really proud of, mm -hmm. but we're really grateful as well to our veteran participants who agree to volunteer to, um, to be in a clinical study to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Dr. Gleason, thank you so much for today. Thank you. Everybody, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Heaven on Earth, your online school of divinity, building your inner coach as you lay down your foundation in the new earth with you as the authority. Take action now. The number one challenge people face every day is the negative voice in their head. We work each day to turn negatives into positives. It's all a matter of perception. Our challenge at this time is to remain intensely positive and focused, creating the world we wish to live in. Wake up on purpose with Cornelia's daily online positive messages guiding us in the new paradigm. Raise yourself into happiness and inner peace daily. Elevate your personal frequency 
free from negativity and reprogram yourself step-by-step, shifting your energy patterns with positive repetition, daily building your new earth with someone you trust. All the heavy lifting has been done for you. Wake up happy with CorneliaStephanieVIP.com. Try free for seven days now. For those of you out there, you know we have dedicated an entire series to talking about pain in America, what we do about it, what we know about it, and most importantly, what we don't know about it. Today, though, it's time to talk about what the vision is. What is the vision? What's the new narrative in the conversation about pain? Dr. Raja is joining me here today. Director of Research Division of Pain Medicine, John Hopkins University School of Medicine. And the conversation is to make us all aware that if we are not fully immersed in what's going on in our daily lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of this country when it comes to pain, we will literally not even know that there is a crisis going on. Dr. Raja, thank you for today. Um, I've got to start out with, with the, com- yeah, I, you know, look, I can imagine how many of these interviews you've done, but I still don't think that people quite understand what we are dealing with here, even after all the media coverage. What do you think? Um, well, what we know is that there are more than 25 million adults that are affected by chronic pain in the U.S. And in more than a third of these uh, individuals, uh, their pain interferes with their work and their social activities. So we have a a pain issue that is quite significant. But we also have an issue of more than 2 million persons in the U.S. who are addicted to opioids. Mm -hmm. And more uh, challenging and more problematic is that just within the last year, we've had more than 40,000 deaths related to opioid uh, overuse uh, or opioid-related deaths. So uh, as a clinician, as a healthcare provider dealing uh, with patients with pain for over three decades, uh, the, the challenge is the balancing act of providing optimal pain relief, but avoiding the harmful effects of medications such as opioids in the treatment of pain. I want to ask you, I want to jump right to, uh, let's just call it the vision. The vision to provide an alternative, an alternative that we just don't talk about here, Dr. Raja, but an alternative that works. And that's where you come in um, to tell us, look, you know, you all have been working uh, tirelessly on tr- providing a national pain strategy, uh, what it is, and what could help. I would love for you to share what that vision is, what you've discovered, and what the research is now pointing to. Thank you for that, Dr. Pat. Uh, what the vision and what we have learned is that when we are dealing with chronic pain, particularly, 
no two individuals are exactly alike in their pain experience, that apart from the initial injury or disease that caused their pain, factors such as their life experiences, their environment, and genetic factors may play an important role in their overall pain experience. So, and therefore, it's extremely important to tailor the treatment uh, in a given patient, taking into consideration all these different factors. So it is not just involving prescribing drugs, but in any, many cases, it may involve help from a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It may involve rehabilitation expertise, uh, careful evaluation by a neurologist or neurosurgeon. So I think it's important to understand that not all pains are the same, and therefore treating a patient or a person with pain uh, has to be individualized, taking into consideration their specific pain condition and their coexisting diseases. You know, you have been working, as I said before, tirelessly at this. Um, and uh, many people have come forward and have said, you know, we understand the importance of this. But underneath all of this, especially from the area that I, that I work in, uh, we have a culture. And it is a culture of, wait a minute, this is what my doctor gave me. Why are you telling me I shouldn't take it now? And by the way, I'm not really being offered an alternative. And so let's talk about really the full spectrum of what you all look at, because it's not simply a matter of I went to the dentist and I got a prescription. It's, it's not that simple. And yet sometimes when we hear the news, it, it almost sounds that simple. This is really, like you said, this has to do with the individual. It has to do with the situation. Um, and what do we say to the people? And this is really the crux of a question I got from our listeners a week ago. What do we say to the people that truly are, have lived with chronic pain and the only way that they know of right now to get relief is through that prescription? What do we say for them for hope? I think... Um the issue that you raise is an, uh, an important one in that we as healthcare providers maybe have not done an adequate job in educating our patients. Uh, I think uh, we need to do a better job of uh, setting appropriate expectations. Uh, we need to educate our patients to let them know that opioids are a tool they're not effective, not useful for the long-term use in all pain conditions. While they may be useful in treating conditions such as cancer pain, such as pain that around the time of a major surgery, or in palliative care or end-of-life care. But when we are dealing with chronic pain conditions, that the use of opioids have limitations. They're limited in their efficacy over the long term. Mm -hmm. uh, find their efficacy decreases, you know, what we call as tolerance. Uh, it's, it's, uh, 
And there are alternative medications as well as alternative strategies that need to be explored. So I think part of uh, what I spend in terms of time is to educate the patient and say, this is a tool that's available. It's a tool that may be useful for some aspects of your pain early on, but long-term this is potentially has disadvantages. It may lead you to adverse effects. And, but there are other options that we need to explore. But this is a team approach, and so uh, it involves uh, your help uh, as well as what I do for you. So I think uh, setting realistic expectations, having discussions with the patients uh, regarding all the alternative strategies that are available are extremely important. Mm. I want to ask you this. I know our time is short. I got to ask you, as you're doing these interviews and you're speaking with people, what are you most hopeful slash excited slash energized around as we move forward in this conversation and in providing a solution, right? Because that's what, that's what this is really about. It's really about looking at, okay, this is where we are, but this is where we can go. I, I think the, what I'm most hopeful about is that this opioid crisis, which is a dark cloud, uh, there is a silver lining. Uh, and this silver lining is that many groups, many agencies, organizations are talking to each other and working together to solve this problem. For example, the deal initiated by the National Institute of Health, the Federal Drug Administration in terms of finding, approving alternative strategies for treat pain, and even the Center for Disease Control. Uh, for example, the Center for Disease Control has recently developed guidelines for the use of opioids by healthcare providers uh, that have been widely accepted. This has led to a decrease in the overall use of prescription opioids in the United States. Uh, unfortunately, I wish this was uh, paralleled by a decrease in the mortality associated with, uh, with the opioids, but maybe that's a matter of time. But clearly we've seen a reduction in the use of prescription opioids. Uh, the other exciting things are patients are now coming to us and asking us. Uh, I know uh, some of the problems associated with long-term use of opioids. What other strategies are available? What else can I do to uh, improve my health? Uh, and so I think that's very positive. Yeah, it is very positive. How can people find out more? I mean, because again, this is why we're here today is really to provide people with insight, information, and alternatives, right? Yeah, I think increased awareness and education is extremely important. Some of the sites uh, that are available at the NIH uh, that, I, that your listeners can go to include uh, nih.gov slash keel slash initiative, uh, which provides more information on the keel initiative. And then the other site is painconsortium.nih.gov that has information on a uh, variety of pain conditions and some of the options for managing these conditions. Well, uh, in addition, I'd like to add that yeah. a number of organizations such as American Pain Society, the American Academy of Pain Medicine, uh, the International Association for Study of Pain also have their websites 
where your listeners can go for additional information. Well, thank you so much because, you know, they do say awareness is the first step. Uh, and I think that with that awareness, we are going to be able to make better decisions. But I think something else you said that's important, and that is we're going to know the type of questions that we can ask our, our doctors and that we can ask ourselves. Thank you so much for this today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Pat. Okay, everyone, we're going to take a short break. Lots of information here. This is a crisis. This does involve uh, all of us getting involved in. And thanks to Dr. Raja and a team of people, we are not just educated. We now have options. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Mm -hmm. 